This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Happy Halloween, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I, your host, as always, Shane Told, talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman, or in this case, front person of a band. And today we have a very special episode. I speak to the berserker Blothar of Guar. So excited to have him. This is such a great conversation. Apparently he's also known as Michael Bishop. You might learn some things about Blothar the Berserker in this episode. And I got a chance to see Guar just like a week ago. So much fun. What a band. I got hit with a little blood. I'm okay though. I'm okay. So it's a great episode. Stick around for that. And again, happy Halloween. I hope I hope you guys are dressed up. Maybe we need to run some kind of Halloween lead singer syndrome costume contest or something. I guess it's a little late now, but hey. If you have any lead singer costume ideas or anything, send them over to me. I'll throw them on the Instagram. By the way, we have Instagram. It's at lead singer syndrome. We have Twitter at lead singer sin, S-Y-N. And of course, if you want to get in touch, you can email me lead singer syndrome at gmail.com. And I check all my emails. I read them all. I am pretty bad at getting back to you, but it is what it is. Also, I feel like because we have Guar on the show, I got to promote the hate line once again. Lead Singer Syndrome has a hate line. If you're not so happy, if you want to give me the hate, give me a call, leave me a message. The phone number is plus one for all you people outside of America or Canada, 657-666-HATE. That's 657-666-H-A-T-E. Leave me a message and I will be rolling out some hate line clips at some point. Shout out to Brendan Potter, the king of the hate line. Give it to me. I want some hate, especially today on Halloween. 
Big shout out to Tim from Rise Against for doing the podcast last week. It was a big milestone for me, episode 100, and believe me, I'm not slowing down. I've got so many great guests coming up in the next 100, 200 episodes, and if you were listening earlier, we do have a new intro, which I think we're going to try to do every 100 episodes, and it was picked by Tim from Rise Again, so shout out to him once again. Thanks to everybody for listening to this thing. Damn, we've cracked 100 episodes. I'm having so much fun, and this episode today again, is one of my favorites. If you want to help the show, check out the All Access Club. That is absolutely the best way. For as little as $6 a month, it gets you in, it gets you bonus content, it gets you merchandise, it gets you interaction with me, interaction with other fans of the show. We have a blast with me and all my sinners. So check it out, leadsingersyndrome.com slash access. So yes, if you dressed up as a lead singer, send me a photo of your costume or tag me on Instagram, whatever it is, and happy Halloween. Here's my conversation with the Berserker Blothar of Guar. Lothar. Yeah, man. <laughs> How you holding up? Well, I'm doing all right, you know. Getting ready for this tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, big tour coming up. Record coming out very soon, right? Friday? Yeah. That's Friday. cool. That's cool. And that's, I mean, that's a, yeah, this is going to be a, a big record for you guys, I think. American tour. Um Coming off Warp Tour, man, so much. It's been a big year for you guys already, huh? It has. It's been a it's been a big year, you know. But every year is a big year for Guar. It's a <laughs> we're just big. You are big. You're a big, yeah, big it's been man. Good, man. Warp Tour was great. You know, we got to expose ourselves to a whole new age group. You got to expose yourself to children. Oh yeah, yeah. There's got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Sometimes I have problems with my phrasing. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, yeah, we, we, we got a lot of exposure. And, uh, and and it was a blast. It's always fun to perform for people who've never seen Guar before and to watch their young minds just be melted into a combination of fear and amazement and self-loathing and confusion. <laughs> It's wonderful. Well, the song Fuck This Place must have been how you guys felt wearing those costumes in the blistering heat, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that fun. song, I was like, fuck this place, because, you know, I was on the tour, obviously, like, and, um, you know, walking around every day, I was like, I I am hot, and I'm wearing fucking shorts. I can't even imagine what they're going through. It was, it was uh, you know, I mean, for a band from Antarctica. Oh, yes, you know, yes. Yeah, 114 degrees is... Uh, that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, we were, we were literally just, just melting. Um, you know, we do have, uh, uh, ways of keeping cool. Uh, we have some ice packs that we wear under our clothes, but like that, that, that didn't work. I mean, they would just melt instantly. And, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, so, I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely, 
a challenge. You know, the only thing that saved it was that we only had to play for 25 minutes, which was 23 minutes too long. <laughs> right? Yeah, after the initial two minutes of like excitement of playing wears off, you're like, yeah, fuck this place. Exactly. It was fun to watch, you know, it was fun to watch you guys every day rev up the crowd. I was glad we had, uh, you know, I mean, Warp Tour was, uh, there was a lot of bands on there that confused me with the, you know, their, their, their names were really, really long and I could never <laughs> remember them. They all say like, they're all like Faulkner, the, 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 the title of a Faulkner out book or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I think all the best band names are like four letters or less. What do you think? Do you agree with that? Oh, four letters or, you know, I mean, uh, Silverstein, that's, that's not a bad name. It's, it's a little it's, long. It's a little long, but at least it's not two words or three words or it's, it's not a freaking sentence. Sometimes I, I think they, I was waiting for a band that I, I kept thinking they should be called. I'm sure we could probably think of a better name. Like that's the name. <laughs> that's the name. Yes. No. Yeah. I was the other day I was talking to somebody about long band names, like you know, like and you will know us from the Trail of Dead. You know, okay. that's that's a band with a long name. Or there's another newer band called The World Is a Beautiful Place, and I'm no longer afraid to die. <laughs> that <laughs> you like that one. I love that one. <laughs> it's actually they're actually a pretty good band too. Um yeah. but man your your story is pretty crazy. Um coming into the band, coming back into the band after fuck a long long time. Uh a couple decades. Uh, yeah. And what were you doing while you were gone all these years and and how, when did that how did that call come in like you know when Dave passed away that hey Michael we need you back. Well, you know the human slave of Blothar, Michael Bishop, was a uh, for a while. He, I was working as a uh, a uh, a college professor at the University of Virginia. Um, uh, he knows uh, studying uh, ethnomusicology. Um, okay, yeah, and uh, <laughs> kind of music and anthropology, um, performance studies, things like that, and teaching teaching writing uh, at the college there. And uh, you know, so I mean when. When uh, when Dave Brocky died, I I was walking through uh, a, a supermarket, um, and this is I mean we already I knew he had, had died and that was a, a terrible thing and everybody was yeah uh, I'd gone to 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 see the guys and everybody was just crying and beside themselves and it was about you know I, I, they started inviting me to their meetings again you know and we we always like to say you're never really Guar is kind of like the mafia. Like you're never really out of it. <laughs> you know, nobody is really. And um, you know, anybody could come back. You know, Guar's always been like, even to join the band, all you had to do was show up and start doing something, and you were in. <laughs> um, you know, so it's. Uh, but we, I got a call from uh, Brent Ferguson and from Matt McGuire, and they said we want you to do this. Uh, and, and I had been there when they decided to move forward. Um, and I had a feeling that they might ask me to do something, but I thought it was just going to be like, come back for one show and sing the songs that I sang and maybe learn a couple more. Um, but uh, it was, you know, they asked me to come back and, and it was, it was, I felt obligated and honored Okay. Um, I remember in I was walking through the supermarket and I looked up at the at the ceiling and I was like you fucking asshole. You know, 
30 years Jeez. down the line and you're still making me do things. <laughs> like, oh, man. But at, but at the same time, like once I started doing it, it felt really, uh, I don't know, I felt really, really close to Dave just by riding around and in, in, in the car and listening to the songs and learning the words and paying attention to the, you know, I mean, I was such a fan of his singing and the way that he would phrase things like uh, the way, you know, his voice, the character of his voice, the, the sort of many different kinds of uh, inflection that he had, you know, yeah. he had a lot, a lot of voices and he did, and he did characters in songs, almost like Tom Waits would do. Right. Like, right. Um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, he was really, I think, unusual and unrated as a heavy metal singer, um, a hard rock singer. I think he was among, easily among the most creative uh, ever to take the stage. I really do. I, I agree mean, with you. So. That must have been a hard decision for you, though. I mean, you have, you're talking about you're, you're a professor in a university, just to give all that up and be like, okay, I'm going to go back on the road. I mean, Guar's known as one of the craziest hard partying bands and in some ways one of the most dysfunctional bands too of all time so i've heard um like you're, you're is that is, am i wrong i mean you're gonna go back into that no. when you have a very very um you know kind of like a cushy gig by the sounds of it yeah no yeah gore put the fun in dysfunction <laughs> yeah and, and not the funk we put the funk there too uh, <laughs> yeah i mean it was you know it was it was hard i mean we were I mean, it wasn't, I, you know, I, I'd been teaching for a while. I had uh, sort of moved out of that and was doing technical writing. Um, so I, I really, you know, I was kind of gearing up to look for, uh, to look for jobs, but I mean, that it's such a, you know, it was actually a good time really. I mean, because I was in between, uh, teaching gigs um i had stopped teaching at the university of virginia and uh you know and i was looking for at the time i was looking for one-year appointments and which is what most academics do these days and okay so uh you know it's kind of a, a rough job market to say the least mm. um, and i had some stuff i mean i had some and of course as soon as i joined gore i started getting jobs right and left but like um it was uh not you know it, it was a change, but you know I mean it, the politics of academia uh, did nothing but prepare me for the politics of being in a rock band, which I'm sure as you could imagine, and especially a rock band as legendarily dysfunctional as Guar. Like, yes, well, you know, it, it really doesn't have anything on a uh, on a on a, a, a you know a, a school of arts and sciences. Uh, <laughs> Bored. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, man. It's like I understand you're an actual PhD musicologist. It must be pretty funny when you're hanging out with other people, like colleagues at a dinner party, <laughs> comparing notes of like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go back and do this band. You know, it's not like you're going to join, I don't know, Megadeth or something. This is like, you know, this is one of the most, no. you know, offensive. I mean, I don't want to say gimmicky because it's the wrong word, but you know, it's it's it, you get away with things with Guar that other bands don't get away with, and you say whatever the fuck you want to say, pretty much. It is offensive, and it is uh, and it is um, designed that way. And Guar has almost been sort of grandfathered in in the world of sort of political correctness. Um, I don't even know how that <laughs> ha happened, but it's like 
somehow, you know, it's coming to an end, though. I mean, I can feel it. I can I can sense it that, you know, things are turning and really the sense of humor. And I used to hate the term politically correct because I was like, yeah, politically correct. That's what you want to be. You know, you don't want to hurt people. You want to do things, you know, what's wrong with social justice. Right. But, right. But and, and I still believe that. But I do also think that the world has changed and that people are very intolerant of any kind of speech and humor. I mean, they lack people lack a sense of humor. And I understand when it's when it's dealing with like power relationships and things and why people feel the way they do. But but I do think that um, at some point, uh, it, you know, I don't know. I mean, Guard's gotten away with a lot. I don't know if we're going to keep getting away with a lot. Uh, but we're going to keep doing a lot, even if we stop getting away with it. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is that, yes, at parties and at uh, and, you know, sitting in in a, a, a seminar on like, you know, uh, uh, feminism and music and <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're thinking I'm thinking to myself, you know, when are these people going to turn on me? <laughs> um and the amazing thing, to their credit, and I think that this is important, they didn't. They never did. And it's not because they didn't know what we did. It's because they're smart people who understood what we did. Right. They understood that what Guar does is – and I wrote about Guar extensively as an academic. Sure. And, you know, I mean, my – uh, ethnography was sort of autoethnography was one of the things that I was interested in. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, Guar, Guar, Guar mounts a very serious critique of modernity. And, you know, you don't have to be smart to figure it out. And academics need that. I mean, they need some way to take their the things that they believe in that they're passionate about out into the world. And to me, this looks like a freaking great platform for that, you know? So, I mean, it, it feels kind of the same to me in some ways as, as, yeah, as teaching and performing. And, you know, so, I mean, in, but by and large, I think the point I'm making is that, you know, people get so up in arms about things but these people who I would really expect to be upset about it, largely they look at Guar and say, wow, okay, this is something that's playing with identity. It's playing with things that are taboo. Um, you know, it, it's, it's <laughs> abjection and like, uh, and, and, and satire. Right. You know, so, I mean, they, they realize the value of it and they realize what that speech is. You know, totally. And I think you're right about things changing. I remember, you know, when, we were on the tour when Chester from Lincoln Park died and you made a crack very early on, very soon, very dark. Um, you know, there was some backlash. There were people pretty angry, you know, that you would do that right away. But again, you're Guar. You can, you can get away with just about anything. Well, that's right. We are Guar and we can get away with anything. Um, that was actually, you know, Pustulus. Pustulus gets up there and he, uh, oh, okay. and he cra- yeah, he cracks wise about, uh, um, you know, and that's what he does. I mean, he's a guy who, uh, uh, you know, who, who that's what that's 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 his character. That's what that's who he is. And uh, and what he said was actually, you know, suicide is no is not a joke. It's no laughing matter. Right. But but Lincoln Park is. <laughs> and like, <laughs> OK. You know, OK. 
I mean, I think that he was, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I turned my head when he said it and was like, wow. uh, (laughs) Sort of start quickly. Oh, don't we have another song to play? Well, Um, if you can get shocked and imagine, right? I mean, (laughs) yeah, but, but I mean, like still, I mean that I, I don't think that I I do think that, that what he said was, uh, um, I mean, it's outside of the bounds of taste, but it's not outside of what of what Guar does, or um, you know how Guar has made meaning in the past. You know, right? No, no, totally. I mean, I always thought I always felt like Guar was a punk band. Like you, you know, you guys were were kind of like punk rock kids that were making fun of heavy metal bands. And then right. it just sort of turned into a whole other thing. Is that is that kind of the origin of the band? Is, is that is that accurate? That's a hundred percent accurate. Um, yeah, I mean, that, you know, Guar was born during a, a, a time when uh, glam rock, you know, right. Uh, and and also it was at this. It was an interesting time also because the remnants, you know, that were eventually sort of both exploited and then kind of destroyed by grunge, like, mm-hmm. uh, and the alternative rock craze, there was this network that had been developed of magazines and of fanzines and of promoters across the country. And that, that was the network that was forged by American hardcore. And, uh, and Guar was of that. I mean, even the members, every member in the band was in uh, basically a hardcore and a punk band. Yeah. And, uh, and then you know that was right situated right against at the same time like on the on the big side of things you know the the overground commercial music you had this uh crazy i mean we used to when, when the first time we went to to Los Angeles and we looked at that magazine bam yeah. and we're just through there and there's all these guys with these ridiculous hairdos and there was a band like you know where the band had been called Paradise, and then they broke up. So there was a band called Pear hyphen of hyphen dice, and then a band called Paradise <laughs> with a Y. And then we were just laughing to like taking you know the, the word Pear P E A R, and then <laughs> and then a picture of an I, and then a picture of a die. <laughs> it was just. <laughs> I mean, it was so, but it was such, you know, that that's what Guar, and that's built into our mythos that Guar was awakened by, you know, the overuse of hairspray, <laughs> uh, which had, you know, caused a hole in the ozone layer, which caused our Antarctic layer to melt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Guar was making fun of heavy metal. And over time, uh, I mean, we were always trying to uh, be something. Uh, I mean, we, we were inspired by, you know, the sound really and the stupidity of rock and roll like Kiss. Like it's just, right. Sure. You know, I mean, we, were, we, were, we were, had some aspirations in that direction. And then gradually, you know, over time, I think it started to make more sense for Guar to actually be a metal band. Um, <laughs> sure. that, that's where we felt. Uh, that's where we felt right. You know, that's where, where it, it felt suited you know so um uh you know i think it's always had though this irony right i mean we're not uh you know backstage with slayer and halloween and uh whatever giant metal bands right like guar's not you know guar's much more at home with the guys from the punk bands that sit around and talk you know that's totally what it's always felt like you know 
And um, being in Guar is more work than being in any other band. That's oh, got to no. be true. Without a doubt. And it's not even oh. close. No, not even close. I mean, I had another band that toured and put records out um, uh, on uh, Touch and Go. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that was, <laughs> I mean, the ease of that, you know, that it was, it, it never ceased to amaze me. Um, like how, how much effort goes into Guar and, and, and it's, it's constant and continuous. And, uh, and it's just a different type of band. It's even structured differently because there are so many people that work to help create it. Um, right. So. Because, because there's a, it's not just the band members and, and the, whatever a management team, you know, you have people on your crew that are basically staples that are part of the, the story of the legend of putting together the show. Like in some ways it's almost like putting on, like I'm trying to think of a, an example, like, you know, like a Las Vegas, you know, style production in some ways. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Not you know, not. I wish it were more like that. But you know what I mean. You have props. You have you have materials you need. There's the blood, all that. I mean, someone's got to handle that. It's so funny because the members of the band who don't play instruments, like when when we used to this in the old days when we were traveling, you had to write down a profession, right? Right. and the only thing that made sense on the on the box, like when they were talking to some immigration guy at some point, and they're like, "Well, we're in the band, but we don't we don't play." And the guy's like, "What? what so you're a dancer?" And he's like, and they, "You know, they're just like, yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> that's what we are. We're dancers, you know." So it came, like, <laughs> with the you know the sex executioner is a dancer. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Guar is one of another way that Guar is incredibly unique is that it's a collective of artists. It's produced by a collective of artists, and that collective of artists is the soul of the band. And uh, the musicians are the face of the band. And right. those artists, you know, it's not like Slipknot. It's not like Kiss. It's not like. Uh, any band where where you know you don't know who those costume designers are, you don't know what their relationship to this band is. Um, but you know, in or or, or the people who make the stuff, you know. Sure. How did but it come in, with your character Blothar the Berserker coming in? Um, obviously, you have a thirty-year-old you know backstory of the band. How does that fit into the story? And how did you or or who decided what you know Blothar's character was going to be, what the costume was going to look like, all that stuff. Uh, Blothar really grew out of an idea for, um, kind of, so, so Guar, people don't understand this about Guar, um, but Guar had an existence before Dave Brockie was the lead singer as, as a band before, before Odorous was there, before, yeah. uh, and and in those old days, these different singers, and there were a few of them. There were there were like two or three of them before. Um, <clears throat> you know, they had a certain. Uh, there was you know in the early days of Guar, it just looked like a bunch of cavemen from outer space up there playing rock music. You know, and it was very sort of focused on like really dumbed down and uh, and really like lowbrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it was just barbarians, like space barbarians up there. And we wanted to go back to something like that 
Um, and, and of course I overcomplicated things. I mean, we, we, we knew that we wanted to have a kind of the same, a similar profile at least, uh, to, uh, odorous as far as like, you know, the shape, you know, the sort of heroic V shape with the big antlers, like the big spikes that he had had, you know, so there was a sort of idea of the shape of the costume, but then the character evolved from wanting to go back to that old formula of barbarians playing rock music. And when I started thinking about it, I was like, well, there's, there are these parallels to Viking to like uh, Beowulf, you know, the, the story of, uh, of the warrior who, uh, you know, he fights, he fights Grendel and he beats Grendel. And then, uh, you know, after he, after he beats him, he, he retires. And then, you know, as a Viking, I guess, you know, he lived to be old, which we, we hear is like probably like he was in his 40s, right? And, <laughs> sure, sure. And they, and they come back to him and they're like, Grendel's mom is back, man. You got to come back. And, you know, it was kind of the first sequel. Like, you know, they were like, OK, it's time for Beowulf, too, you know. But he, <laughs> but he answers the call again and comes back and fights Grendel's mother, you know. And there's uh, so like there was an idea of like, you know, sort of linking war to to Vikings and to Norse culture and to these uh and and plus, I mean, and Guar had always been linked to that. Always, you know, the 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 Hunter Jackson who helped create Guar, he made a whole series of paintings that are based on Viking mythology, which is the greatest, craziest mythology there is. I mean, it's just yeah, it's hilarious, you know. And and Guar is that way, you know. It's it's born out of stories that we tell each other to make each other laugh, and when you. <laughs> Actually, when you actually look at those Viking tales, you realize it's the same shit. It's a bunch <laughs> yeah. of dudes around making each other laugh. You know, it's basically what it is. It's incredible. Um, how is it for you coming in? You know, obviously, you know, you used to be you sing some songs, also played bass uh, beef, as Beefcake the Mighty. Um, how is it coming back using your voice the way you use your voice um, after not doing it for so long? Was that difficult? Um, I had actually been performing, even though I was a, uh, a teacher, um, you know, I didn't stop performing. And in fact, you know, in order to learn, um, what I did was I put myself into an, a musical environment that I was really unfamiliar with, partly out of necessity, because all that is in Charlotte, you know, Charlottesville is where Dave Matthews band is from. Okay. They're, and and that's and my you know being in a metal band really didn't have any currency in that town and uh, so you know I mean what was available to me and I and I and it looked like kind of a learning opportunity I was like you know well maybe we could start this band and actually get some of the kids involved and like uh, you know I knew some of the kids were horn players and I was like and this is really before like um, you know the the Saint what is his name in the bro- Broken Bones like it was before all of that sort of like neo soul, okay. Uh, maybe right around, but certainly, I guess Sharon Jones was going already. But you know, we were like, all right, well, let's do, let's have this soul band that is also a country band, and that you know really shows kind of the connection between soul music, country music, and jazz music. So it was, uh, and so I sang in that band, and uh, and I had been singing and learning more about music really than i had for a long time i mean it's a different animal being in a rock band is a very different thing exactly you know and and it's weird because like you get out there and you learn how people use music there's a lot more people in the world who use music 
the way the people I was playing with or, or that I ran into a lot, there's more people that do that than do what you and I do, right? Where we make uh, somewhat of a living or at least, you know, try to make a living playing music. Um, you know, there's a lot more people who are plumbers and really great freaking country drummers, right? Right, right. sure. So, I mean, that that's what's out there in the world. And, uh, you know, so I was humbled constantly by the level of, of you know, I mean... <laughs> On the country thing, I mean, that was a classic because we had a the drummer for our band was uh, from uh, Berkeley. Uh, you know, he was great, super trained dr- jazz drummer, and he had this very ironic relationship to the to the country music whenever we would play it. Um, and then one day, you know, we didn't have him for some reason, so we got this fill in, and it was a guy who was a, a real country drummer, and we were like, "Oh my god!" Like, you know. That <laughs> You know, not nearly as skilled, not nearly as technical, but so suited, you know. So, I mean, I learned a lot about music. I learned during that time period, you know. I mean, I, ne- I never really let go of it, you know. I mean, it was, it was, sure. I was, I was studying it constantly. And it's, it's definitely one thing, though, to, to be playing those kinds of music, you know, sometimes to like going on tour, wearing this huge costume, sweating your ass off, screaming. And then having to do it all the next night. I mean, that's that's kind of what I mean. That must have been a hard no, adjustment no. to get back into. You're right. You're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. It took some getting used to, you know. Um, but, I, you know, I loved it. And like I said, I mean, I had done Keepone and bands after Keepone right up until around like 2003. The band, you know, those bands were active. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was. And then I did this other thing. And I think that I gained a lot of range doing this other thing and so i was able to sort of bring that to guar um and uh, it felt i mean you know it was hard i mean there's no doubt that it was hard yeah. but it was all fun i mean you know i remembered guar and i missed guar i did i missed mainly i missed the people you know sure. those are most important relationships in my life and uh i want you know being able to get that back you know to spend time to spend every day hanging around people who you would probably want to spend it with anyway, you know, is that's a, a, a blessing that you shouldn't take for granted. No, definitely. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Zach from rise against, uh, you know, and he was in the band uh, for a little while. I think, I don't think you guys were in the band at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you know him. And, you know, he talked about just Guar being this crazy, crazy environment, this crazy band, when you got back into the band, obviously you can't keep up the heavy, you know, partying and drug use like you can for thirty years. I don't think. Um, I mean, there's people, members of your band have passed away from that. Um, what was it like? What were you expecting going into it? And what's the reality now? Uh, I mean, I knew the people who were in the band, um, and I knew. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, like I was legitimately shocked by uh, by these deaths, um, yeah. and and I knew the people that were in the band and that were still in the band, and you know, I mean, uh, it's definitely true that like you you know these are the guys that um, that I think you know stay stay away from that stuff to begin with. And, and those are the guys that are there now and um, and that are still there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, by and large, Guar is, uh, 
<clears throat> I think compared to most, to many rock bands, very tame on the mm-hmm. There's a And it's a bunch of middle-aged guys. There's a long sure. line, long line for the bathroom at night, right? On the tour. <laughs> Not, you know, people, people are much more interested in, uh, in, in sleeping, um, I work full time from the road while we travel. I, I, I'm still a technical writer, um, and I and I work a job, a salaried job for which I have to work every day. Wow! Um, you know, Monday through Friday, <clears throat> and uh, other guys in the band do the same. Brad manages a a, a couple of businesses. Brent manages a business. Um, so I mean, you know, the, the pretty serious minded guys that that are really, you know, other than, I mean, blowing off steam once in a while and drinking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff is not a part of Guar anymore. Ah, that's uh, good to hear, man. Um, I got to talk, I got to ask you about the whole spraying blood thing. I had a few fan questions and they were all asking this when you guys first did that started just spraying blood, fake blood and, and, and other things all over the crowd. What was the reaction from people and how did that become a thing we watched um don draculich had who's one of the members he plays sleazy p martini um he had looked because i mean the first several times that i saw guard they didn't do that right it was and i was i wasn't even in the band and i was going to watch them and then it was just sort of like uh, a blood you know they had blood bags and they would split open like some fake blood and stuff like that. Um, but the idea of spraying onto the crowd, like it first started when, um, one of the, I, I believe that one of the very first things was, um, this, you know, Dave's old band, death piggy had done stuff where they squirted stuff on the audience. And, uh, one of the first things that spewed was the slave dick. Like, so we had this slave, Mike Bonner, and he had a giant dick <laughs> okay. uh, you know, on his costume. And he uh and he put <laughs> yeah, and he put this like sort of ketchup bottle from a restaurant in there and filled it up with like uh you know, water and, and coffee creamer and he would go out there and just squeeze it and it would shoot out, you know. And we saw how people would go crazy over that. And so <laughs> we were like <clears throat> and really, you know, Don, I mean, I think Don is the one who brought, besides Bonner, Don and, and Bonner, but Don had this book. And I remember looking at the book. He's like, look, this is how they do it. When they cut off the arms in the Monty Python movie, The Holy Grail. Yeah. He's like, there was a, a wider frame where you could see the night and you could see that they had a fire, a, 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 like a regular fire extinguisher that was hooked up to a hose and, you know, so we were like, well, that's how they do that. Then we could do that. Right. So Don got some fire extinguishers. And when, when Guar first went out, like, I mean, our whole first tour, like we were just using, you know, fire extinguishers. And then gradually, like we, we started using more and, you know, like bumped it up to air compressors, um, and, uh, you know, because there, there were some great engineers in Guar. Yeah. Um, yeah. There okay. were, I mean, like absolutely. Said, Dave muscle, it was one of the artists and he was one of the, he's a top notch fabricator. I mean, you know, this is a guy that won a lot of fellowships as a sculptor. He's very mechanically minded and he's able to do this shit. And so, you know, he was, 
you know, when he set his mind to it, you know, coming up with, with ways for this to happen. Um, so, you know, it kind of developed over time. But when we first did it, to answer your question, yeah. which I think is actually a, almost a more interesting question, is that people, the reaction that people had, it was as if when you first see Guar, as if somehow all rules have been suspended because because it crosses over and it seems to cross this line into their personal space. Totally. And it requires this moment of connection um, with the, you know, it requires understanding, you know, like, like, oh, my God, I'm wet. I wonder if this will come out. I'm not mad. I like this. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and, and by and large, I mean, except for, you know, I mean, we had some incidents where, where we would spray people and they would get really bent out of shape. But for the most part, man, people like it was as if you checked a box that said anything is permissible. And that's how they would act. I mean, they would just it turned thing. It turned the environment. We, we watched that. And that's why we why we wanted to keep doing it. Because it changed how people were reacting, they weren't right. just—they weren't just looking at us. All of a sudden, they were part of the show, and they had this kind of almost like a just a bacchanalian sense of like, like you know, it just turned things into something that felt somehow ceremonial, like just weirdly <laughs> intense and performative, you know, like on and on the part of the audience too. And you know, I mean, we played some places where. And for some crowds, I mean, one of the shows that we talk about is at this show, a place called Taco Land, which was a legendary venue in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. And we played there, and there was nobody there. Like, they, they, it was an all-ages show, or it was not an all-ages show. So a bunch of people were stuck outside looking in the windows, and the people who were there were uh, Latino farm workers. And basically... Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, when we were and it was a bar that was a Mexican restaurant and when we were bringing in all the props and costumes, they were looking at it. And basically what they did was they got on their phones and they called, you know, or they just called all of the people that they knew and were like, come down here. This is crazy. Right. So all of a sudden there's like the the place was packed with these just farm worker guys, you know, just just blue collar Latino people and. Uh, they were freaking out. I mean, like, you know, they, they, <laughs> they're they like, I mean, it was literally like a scene in a movie where like <laughs> everything, everything goes crazy and people are pouring tequila down each other's throats right. and, like, and women are dancing and taking their tops off. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that was happening. You know, it was just bananas. So, uh, I mean, we loved that, you know, and, and actually to be honest with you, we miss that. And that's kind of why we're right. tour why warp tour was cool for us you know? no totally a lot of people didn't know that's what you did they'd heard right. the name they kind of knew you wore costumes but they didn't know that part of, of the show right. which is obviously something that everyone knows now yeah i just i just imagine you guys going from city to city on your first tour and people not knowing and like i just pictured dudes trying to fight you well <laughs> you know? there was there was that there was that there was that um uh you know, a little bit like, um, but by and large, no, like, I mean, it, it was, it was mostly people understood, you know, we played in front of some skinheads when we played with Murphy's law. Um, that's a whole story. I mean, it, that was hilarious, but like, you know, they got super mad. Um, and we're always aware, like if we play and there was a bunch of skinheads in the crowd, 
we, you know, generally knew that they were going to get really pissed off when we got their jackets wet. With right. this, you know, so, I mean, and in the late 80s, that was a problem, you know, less so now. Um, and then in Europe, in Europe, where people just have a different sensibility. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that, you know, we played at this club. It was a squat called AJZ in Bielefeld, Germany. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we're playing and we do our thing and we're squirting out the blood and stuff. And they just, I mean, they, they just emptied, like they just ran to the back, you know? So we're playing. <laughs> yeah. So we're playing in front of just a big empty room with a shit ton of Germans, just smoking cigarettes lined up in the back, like you know, airing at us. And then afterwards they, you know, a few of them would come forward um, and, and bathe in the blood. Like, you know, there were a few who seemed to get it. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, like they wanted to talk to us. It was like a debriefing, you know. They they, they were like, "Why?" They love that in Germany. I just got back from there. They love yeah. to tell you. They love the review to review the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> "Why do you do this? Why do you do it? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to say?" Um, and uh, that was a really interesting reaction. You know, I mean, uh, Brocky had absolutely no patience for it. He's like, "What do you mean? Why?" There's. A- <laughs> <laughs> because it's fun dumbass you know like uh but uh so i mean you there's definitely been some different reactions over the years um, but most most people understand they what really about the do. venues too though i mean the venues must freak out sometimes in the early days there were venues that would freak out um and you know i remember like one in particular our very first time that we went to england and we played this hall that was like this beautiful hall in Wales. And it had this blonde wooden floor. Right. Uh, and, and it was really gorgeous, right? And we had – they didn't know. They had no idea. And we get up there and we start doing what we do. And the, the, at the end of it, you know, there's this big puddle of red liquid. And the guy's like, okay – um, here are all the mops and brooms, you know, let's get this cleaned up. And we're like, yeah, that's not how it works. You know, like, I mean, we're, we leave, right. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, there was, there was definitely some of that, you know, and, and really early on though, we had to pretty much tell, we figured out that we had to prepare the venues and that it wasn't fair not to do that. So, I mean, even on our first tour, we were telling people, you know, and we would, we would actually take all the stuff ourselves. Like we had all the garbage bags to put over everything and we had the plastic to lay down for their floor and you know we and, and they quickly sort of caught on to that yeah totally one thing about guar that i always thought was great and important was how you did use your humor and your ability to say anything you want and get away with whatever for some right. kind of you know uh, to make some kind of a statement you know what i mean and i know you guys all have different different you know political beliefs and stuff but is that a factor, you know, when you're killing Trump on stage every day and stuff like that? Like, how much of that factors in? Guar, um, Guar has, it, it's really, it's really elemental. There isn't any, uh, and it's, there's so many people involved and there always has been so many people involved that like the Guar, the, the politics of Guar almost seem to emerge from the thing uh, and be something like, you know, you know how when you write a song and you, and you don't like sometimes you don't know what it means and then uh, and then afterwards when you look at it you're able to ascribe some meaning to it 
And, right, sure. Uh, and in some sense, like, Guar was, was that way. It was like this big stew. And then afterwards, you look at it, and you're like, okay, well, this is what this, is what this means, right? Um, and, uh, and partly that comes out of the fact that there are so many people in the band who have so many different ideas, you know, and especially now. Like, there yeah. are people... The, the politics within the band are widely varied. Okay. So um, like, you know, even on somebody, something like Donald Trump, right. So there's not uh, um, a unified sort of Guar opinion on things. Like there is sort of a way that Guar has made meaning over the years. And, and it, it, it generally seems to be, you know, chaotic um, and, and disorganized, uh, but, you know, I mean, certainly you can say that it's it's been generally critical of consumerism, uh, cons- you know, of, of uh, you know, celebrating mass culture, um, positioning yourself against notions of high culture yeah. uh, and elitism. Uh, and, you know, I mean, and, and, and then some things that, that are more the ways that Guar has been prescient, right? Like the idea that Brocky would so often uh, he would use in very objectionable terms. He would like sort of claim the identity of being homosexual for moments in a song. Right. And he wasn't doing it ironically or in a way that made fun at all. He was doing it quite deliberately to put these words in the mouths of these kids Hmm. who might actually have those ideas, you know? Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and you can see it. I mean, and we know that because, I mean, because personally, we we knew Dave, and we also knew, you know, his life. His brother, he had a brother who died of of AIDS. Um, you know, he was very close to uh, uh, the homosexual community, the people that he knew through his brother, and, and you know, so I mean, he <clears throat> that there wasn't sort of a homophobic bone in his body, but he did these uh but he did sort of you know use these these terms and 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 express these sort of ideas that you could look at now and i think i think decontextualized people would look at him and say oh wow yeah this is a uh you know a really but in practice in practice what he was doing was getting people to identify with uh with 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 these ideas and 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 Gore was talking about things people don't understand people that are, are that aren't old enough to understand when AIDS was something that that people didn't talk about right yeah uh, and 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 more than that when when people didn't have I mean I told you the the tragedy that Bracky went through and there weren't resources I mean it was deliberately being cordoned off as something that was not worthy of money because it belonged in the homosexual community and it had no bearing on, uh, you know, quote unquote, decent folk in the world. And, 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 you know, Brocky was screaming that, you know, he was screaming it and everything, you know, AIDS in the, in the lyrics and, and, and AIDS beer, we had AIDS beer that was like a generic beer and, um, you know, just like all kinds of weird, <laughs> okay. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so it was always through satire, always funny, but, but it always had this meaning. I mean, like, you know, and that's what I mean when I say that Guar mounts a very serious cultural critique of, of the conditions of late capitalism and, and, and modernity. I mean, that's, 
what Guar does. You know, it's and and it's what we've done from the very beginning. So you know, the politics that emerge from that um, are generally egalitarian, probably. You know, like I mean, but they're not. It's it's very difficult to look at them to pin them down and say specifically what what those are. Totally. Totally. Well, thanks, Michael. Uh, uh, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, obviously, a lot of the other things going on in the Guar world. The Guar Bar is awesome. Uh, there's a Guar comic book now. Uh, that just came out. Is that am I right? Uh, yeah, Orgasmageddon. Yes, is a series of uh, Guar comic books. It's awesome. Um, you know, it's it's great. It, all the old artists have contributed to it, and plus we have new great artists that are working on it. And Matt McGuire has worked very hard on that. And the Guar Bar is a, a venture that's up and running. Um, you is know, that something have, you're all involved in or, or how does that work? The uh, Bar? Not, not, I mean, Guar Bar is mostly the work of, of Mike, Mike, of, of Mike Dirks, um, who, uh, Balsack, the Jaws of Death. Um, <clears throat> you know, so, I mean, that, that's what, that's what he's, what he's been doing. So, cool. yeah. No, it's great. Everybody should check it out. And if you're vegan, they have vegan options, which I like to they see. They do. They have there great vegan options, actually. They do. All right, man. Well, thanks. The Blood of Gods is out. Uh, well, it'll be out now uh, when, when this gets put up on the interweb. So uh, thank you very much. Um, anything else to say before I let you go? No, just, you know, Blothar loves you. <laughs> <laughs> and I love you, Blothar. Thank you. Blothar the Berserker, the one and only... From Guar. Thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time. Right. All the best. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. So there it is with Michael, I mean, Blothar of Guar. What a conversation. So much insight. Very intelligent guy. Who knew, right? Who knew? Thank you so much to John for setting that up. To Blothar himself for doing it. Shout out to Jameson, too. (laughs) Sorry I woke you up one time. And thank you to you for listening episode 101 man i can't believe i've done that many episodes so awesome feel free to get in touch and send me those halloween costumes if any of you are lead singers and also make sure you're subscribed to this thing i don't want you missing any of the upcoming episodes check out the all access club again the link leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access little as six dollars a month gets you in i'm telling you it's a good deal you get some really cool stuff and it helps me out and of course my band Silverstein, we're going on tour literally tomorrow across Canada into the U.S. We have other U.S. dates planned as well. Check it all out, silversteinmusic.com. I love to meet fans of my podcast at all the shows. So please, if you see me around, come say what's up. Chat me up. It's all good. I'll leave you with the tune. It made its debut on the Warp Tour. Very fitting for Guar. Here is... From the new record, The Blood of Gods, Fuck This Place on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next week.